please. <clears throat> Feels like it's about 300 degrees up here. I did that this morning. No. Let's go ahead and stand, please. Second Timothy chapter 2. And verses 1 and 2 are our passage tonight. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We're going to stop there tonight and let's pray. Father, As I hope we always do, we ask for your help in understanding your word in the way we think about it, and the way we use it, and the way that we apply it, and the way that we live it. And I pray that for us this evening, that we would take a passage like this very seriously to our hearts, and that we would strive to be in compliance with it. And I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. I have, for the past several weeks since I finished up this message, been very apprehensive about dealing with it because I'm going to be a little bit contrarian and I hope that I can say that not for the sake of being novel or certainly not for any way of singling myself out, but I just think that 2 Timothy 2.2 is a a verse that is horribly abused by well-intentioned people. Discipleship, 2 Timothy 2.2. Every church needs a discipleship program, 2 Timothy 2.2. Pastor, can you recommend a good book on discipleship, 2 Timothy 2.2. Who are you discipling at this moment? You need to be discipling somebody. 2 Timothy 2.2. Kindle lists in excess of 30,000 books containing the word discipleship in the title. Some more famous than others, some even infamous, some by people who are completely anonymous, all having something to do with discipleship. It's the word, the word is actually not even found in the verse, you'll notice. And I just think that part of the abuse of the text is that when we think about discipleship, we think about something that is 
completely disconnected from the church. Two guys sitting in a coffee shop doing Bible study. Now you have discipleship. Not that it's a bad thing for two guys or two women to be sitting in a coffee shop doing Bible study. I'm not saying that. I'm just exploring this question. What was Paul telling Timothy to do? What did, what did Paul expect would happen? Where did he expect it would happen? In what way did he expect that it would happen? As he wrote 2 Timothy 2.2. Is Paul here suggesting that what he needs to do out of the assembly of individuals at Ephesus gather a few of the better guys and spend some one-on-one time with them? And I don't think that that's what the text implies at all. I think that's where we are with the text that we're all terribly guilt-ridden or obsessed with or thinking about or wondering about the success of a church's discipleship program as if church is one thing and discipleship is another. As if whatever we're doing right now is not really discipleship, we need to, we need to get some good books on discipleship and do that. Verses 1 and 2 are actually one sentence. Our King James Bible does not treat them that way. If you're looking at an ESV, it does. It puts a comma after the end of verse number 1. Because there is no legitimate reason to think of this as anything other than one sentence. And I'm making that point, again, not to be contrarian or to be critical of the King James Bible, but to help us come to an understanding of what Paul is saying. Verse number two doesn't just kind of dangle out there in the church world. All of these things, Timothy, I'm talking to you about, all of these things that I've told you and I'm telling Titus that I want churches to do and I want them to be attentive to. And oh, by the way, don't forget, in addition to that, there's this. So let's begin then by looking once again at verse number 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying to Timothy, be constantly being made strong in God's grace. Be constantly being made strong in God's grace. In God's grace. Thou therefore, you then. Asia is filled with defectors, chapter 1, verse 15. There are the occasional bright spots, chapter 1, 16 to 18. You then, you then, be strong. There is actually a command in the verse. The command is to be being made strong. We don't really talk that way, but that is what Paul is saying. 
Grammatically, it is not only an imperative, it is a passive. He is commanded to be letting something happen to him. He's not being commanded to do something. That will come in verse 2. He is being commanded to seek something, to pursue something, to allow something in verse number 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in God's charity, in his kindness, in his giftedness. I think that the idea here, right? I mean, we know that the word means favor, but it doesn't just mean favor in the kind of smile and look at you and wish good things for you meaning of the word. It implies favor in the sense that God is the one who gives us the ability to do the things that he wants to have done. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 5, it is God's grace that makes us able to obey him. We don't obey God out of anything internal. We obey God because his grace has worked on us in such a way that we are obedient. In Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3, we think clearly because God's grace enables us to think a certain way. The human mind is not naturally bent towards God, nor clear thinking. Just look at the homepage or your news feed of your homepage. Human beings do not default into sanity. They default into insanity. If people are genuinely sane, this is a consequence of God's grace. In Romans 12.6, our spiritual giftedness is a consequence of God's grace. Our ability to minister to his one body through our individual giftedness is something that comes to us from God's grace. Not because we took a battery, a battery of aptitude tests. Not because we jockeyed for position. In 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul talks about building Christ's church under God's grace. So when Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.1, be strong, imperative. Be being made strong, passive. It's God's grace, not your strength, not your human Ability, not your ability or capacity to grit your teeth and carry on. There will be a place for endurance, 2 Timothy 2 3. But it is not human endurance that we are pursuing. And God's grace comes to us through Jesus Christ, the mediator of our covenant. God, our Father, who Himself is rich in grace, gives us His grace through His Son. Jesus Christ, John 1.14, the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld his glory, the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, and of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. 
every believer needs in all situations and at all times to be constantly being strengthened by God's grace. Not his own physical abilities and capacities. I was having a conversation with one of the guys this morning right before choir came in. He was talking about a muscle he had that hurt him when he was sitting down. I said, all of my muscles work well when I'm sitting. That's when they're at their best. I sit very well. It's when I'm doing everything else that my muscles go into revolt. Not human strength, divine strength. We will never be strong enough, nor wise enough, nor mature enough, nor smart enough on our own to serve the Lord to the end of our lives to the capacity that he wants. It will not happen. It will not happen for a pastor, and it will not happen for anybody in the congregation. So there's verse number one. This imperative the always be being made strong in God's grace. Always be seeking it. Always be pursuing it. Always be operating in the understanding that it is there. It's not, I don't think that Paul is arguing that it's something that we can touch or handle or feel. It is that as we can look back and go, here is a life of service. And whatever value of service there is, it is because of God's grace. And whatever faithfulness I will have tomorrow, it will be God's grace. God, give me your grace. And, verse 2, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Continuity of sound doctrine is the purpose of this grace. Within this immediate framework, why does Timothy need to be constantly being made strong in God's grace? So that he has the ability to transmit sound doctrine. Let's just look at the verse. What are the things? The things. That's a, that's a rather wide open expression, isn't it? What things? What things? Well, if we would just go back, and I would ask you to go back, right? What things? Well, he's writing a letter, so let's just talk about the things he's talked about in the letter. Chapter 1 and verse number 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. What things? The gospel. And we talked about that. Testimony of the Lord is, right, not what we say about the Lord, but what the Lord said. Don't be, don't be embarrassed by what the Lord said. Don't be ashamed of what he taught. Don't be always figuring out how to get around what he said when it is unpopular, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. It's, it's his gospel. Verse number 11, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
Chapter 1 and verse number 13. Hold fast the form of sound words. Stick to the pattern. That's what the word form means. Stick to the pattern. The words instruct. There's there's a system and a structure and an organization to them. Stick to the pattern. In verse number 14, that good thing which was committed unto thee by the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry, that good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Guard what was committed to you. As if somebody entrusted you with their money and you desire to be a good steward of it and you protected it because it's their money, not yours. And you didn't pilfer it. You just guarded it. So what things, verse number two, The things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. And here we have another imperative. We've had our first imperative in the passive. I insist that you keep being made strong in God's grace. And now I insist that you teach. This is a pastoral epistle. This is a guideline for the church body that is mediated in this instance through the pastor. God's Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, to Timothy, to churches, pastors. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. So there's a sense, folks. Right? And again, I'm really not trying to go to war on this. But I, I do feel an obligation for us to think about the verse in a little bit different light. A singular book on discipleship that deals with a variety of subjects, whatever they might be, and I'm not familiar with any. I couldn't recommend one, and I couldn't critique one. Other than to say this, unless the book is comprehensive to the extent that the Bible is, it's not the right book. And at the risk of sounding sarcastic, which is not my intention, I can recommend you a tremendous book on discipleship, You've probably got one sitting in your lap. Paul here isn't recommending to Timothy that he develop and cultivate a series of lectures. He's telling Timothy that it is imperative that the faith be transmitted from generation to generation that every generation of people is like one small link in a long chain. 
and that that will be transmitted only by people who have been made strong by God's grace. And their responsibility is simply to pass it along. The word commit means to place it in front of. If I may be so brazen, I am doing it tonight. In Matthew 13, 24, the same word is found. Jesus set forth the parable. Here, let me put this parable out in front of you. Here's a parable for you. In Mark 6.41, Jesus set before them fishes. Same word. Here, here's some fish for you to eat. In Luke 23.46, Jesus commended his spirit to the Father's hands. Here, Father, here is my spirit. In Acts 17.3, Paul was opening and alleging that Christ needed to die and rise from the dead. He said it before them. Here, here's the truth of the word of God. I placed it in front of you. It is actually synonymous. It's not the same word. But it is synonymous with the word that is found in verse number 14 of chapter 1. That good thing which was committed unto thee... It was given to you and it was entrusted to you. And what are you to do with it? Well, what indeed are we to do with it, folks? There are no shortage of people who will take it and look at it and go, well, I can't possibly be saying that. Or they will look at it and say, well, if it says that, then here's what's going to happen and we don't want that to happen. So we'll just pretend it didn't say that. And here's what the Lord says. I gave it to Paul. Paul gave it to Timothy. Timothy, you're to set it in front of somebody else. All done in the atmosphere of God's gracious strength. And he is to do this to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. here's the qualification the goal is to pass it along to people who will be faithful with it as he is faithful what is is, is, I mean if you just back up let's back away from 2 Timothy 2.2 for a minute in this whole discipleship world what is going on in 2 Timothy Paul the Apostle is in prison awaiting his execution. A few of his fellow laborers are scattered around the world doing the job faithfully. But the number of people who have turned their back on the faith and therefore Paul seems to far outnumber them. And what is he encouraging Timothy? Look, God gave it to me. I'm giving it to you. You need to give it to men just like you. And folks, the the getting of men just like Timothy is not something Timothy can do. That is the work of the Lord. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
Timothy is simply, again, one link in a long, unbroken chain. And now, whatever it is in the vicinity of 2,000 years later, the chain is unbroken. And folks, it looks at times like the chain is about to snap, but it is not. And God will raise up faithful men who will cling to his word and who will pass it along. And therefore, folks, it is my proposal to you that it is the congregation and not the individual that is the focus of verse number two. Now, we all understand that not everybody in the congregation is going to have the same level of commitment to the teaching and the authority of Scripture. But this is a passage that is not really designed to be removed away from the church and taken someplace else. It is a command for the church. It is the activity of the church. Timothy is a pastor, and he is doing pastoral work. He is teaching the Bible to believing people who are supposed to believe the Bible themselves and pass the Bible along to their children and their co-laborers. Let me just take a couple of minutes and and explain to you why I think that that's the perspective of the verse. In 1 Timothy 3.15, 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul has already decreed that it is the church that is the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, folks, Within the framework of the Bible, if we were to, if we were to somehow animate the Bible into, and, and I, I, I realize that there's a sense in which it's the same as asking Jesus, because, but, but could our Bibles literally talk to us right now? And we said to our Bibles, where should we find the truth? The answer to that would be, you should find the truth in the church. You should find the truth in the church. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. There is a place to train people for ministry, but that is not the context of 2 Timothy 2.2. There is a place for people who believe that God has vocational ministry for them. There is a place for them to be trained and to learn some of the skills that are necessary. And some of those skills, folks, they're only going to be learned in the doing of it, like anything else. I mean, you, you can read every book there is on how to be a carpenter or every book there is on how to be a mechanic, but until you take a hammer in your hand or a wrench in your hand, you don't really have a complete education. I would propose to you on the basis of what he has written already in 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 14, that Paul is talking about the entire content, content of the scriptures that this is Paul's own pattern. Every place that Paul went, he taught the Bible comprehensively. 
We sometimes marvel at the way he talks to churches when he hadn't been there very long and he says to them, well, you, you know, I taught you these things. This is what he said to Thessalonians. He went at Thessalonica very long and he taught them all about eschatology and about the Antichrist and the man of sin. Don't you remember that I taught you that stuff? Go back to 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. I'm just talking. I'm, I'm just, right? I'm trying to defend my thesis. I'm not looking to war with anybody. If you have a great book on discipleship in your library, I'm not at odds with it or I'm, at odds, I'm not at odds with you. That is not my point. I'm just looking at it asking, what's going on in the verse? I'm asking this. Are we failing as a church because we don't have a specific discipleship class? Am I failing as a pastor because I do not have a group of disciples? Are you failing as a Christian because you don't? Have we missed the intent of the verse? Or is there this possibility? That every time we gather together and open the Bible and look at it, whether I'm doing the teaching or one of you are doing the teaching in Sunday school or in a Bible study, we're doing the intent of 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. When Paul references his own experience, he references his public life, not his private life. Timothy, I'm not talking to you about private conversations that we've had, although they no doubt had private conversations. Timothy, I'm talking to you about the stuff you heard me preach. Lots of people have heard me preach this. Lots of people need to hear you preach this. Paul expects many people to hear, Timothy, the same commit thou to faithful men. And I realize you could make the argument, and I wouldn't fight with you, that that would be men in succession or a few men at a time, and it might be a few men at a time. But it is multiples, and not only is it multiples, folks, I would argue that here is one of the places where the word man is not specific to gender. This is the word mankind. In other words, it is entirely possible and in fact expected within the New Testament framework that women are well-versed in the Scripture and able to defend the truth of the Bible. That it is no injustice to the word, for it is the word anthropos. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful people. Aquila and Priscilla knew the Bible and were a powerhouse couple teaching the scriptures. And although we are not going to explore it this evening, I would argue that the context for chapter 2 and verse number 2 is the church and its entire ministry rather than individual one-on-one labor is also found by what Paul says next in verse number 3. So, right, there are many defectors, 115. There's Onesiphorus, a blessed 
refreshment, 16 to 18. You then get your strength from God. Verse number three, you then endure hardness. Endure hardness. Whatever is going on in verse number two, folks, there is a difficulty to it. Paul is anticipating that 2 Timothy 2.2 is going to be met and encountered with some difficulty. Or where, where does the hardness come in? And again, I'm not trying to demean it and I'm not trying to ridicule it. But if all that we mean by discipleship is a group of people sitting around a coffee shop studying the Bible, what do you do then with verses 3 through 5 or 3 through 6? Where do they fit? What are you doing? We're just having a great time at the coffee shop. We got our Bibles open and we're rejoicing in the Lord. We're having a good time. But folks, as we all understand the regular ongoing work of doing church week in, week out, service upon service, Interacting in the lives of the people for up or for down can be grinding and grueling work. And in the task of endeavoring to transmit the truth of the Bible to many people in a church setting, it is is invariable, invariably there will be people who will rise up in opposition and the difficulties will ensue. So again, I propose to you that just to look at 2 Timothy 2, 2, you need to couple it with verse number 1. They fit together. The imperative is that God's people must be made strong in strength that is not theirs but comes from God through Christ. And that they must, in that strength, transmit the truth of the Bible to others. They must teach it to their children. They must participate in the ministry of it to others. I am not in any way disparaging one-on-one instruction or activity. There are many verses that encourage us to be engaged with each other individually. Exhort one another while it is called today. Tells us Hebrews tells us. And not very long after I got saved, our pastor, our home pastor, certainly took me under his wing. And we met every week, just about every week we met for lunch, just about every eight week afternoon we'd go to lunch, and then we'd go on visitation. And we were at their house often on Sunday nights after the service. I'm not disparaging that. I I really am not. There is another pastor in the area. He's retired now. That was a great friend to me that that I befriended early in my ministry here. He was a great help. Truly, truly great help. So I'm not suggesting by any means that there's no part of that in 2 Timothy 2.2. 
I'm just saying that's not what Paul is encouraging everybody to do in 2 Timothy 2.2. Folks, we're doing it tonight. You are the target audience. And then your children will be the target audience. And then the next generation will be the target audience. It is, it is a lot more broad in its perspective than it is narrow in its focus. A church ought to do discipleship every time it has a class. Every time it assembles together, every Sunday school class is a discipleship class. We're teaching people the Bible. Every sermon is a discipleship class. We're teaching, preaching the Bible. The truth of God's word must be transmitted through his people. This is his will. In his power, this is also his will. Let's pray together tonight.